People want to be part of the community. I'm so grateful that we as a human species, once we get in sufficient pain, once we've been pushed enough, we will make changes. Welcome to the Plant-Based DFW Podcast Weekly Show with Dr. Riz and Maya, a show broadcasted from the Dallas-Fort Worth area that focuses on lifestyle medicine. This is the use of evidence-based lifestyle therapeutic approaches, such as a whole food plant-based diet, regular physical exercise, adequate sleep, and stress management to treat, prevent, and oftentimes reverse lifestyle-related chronic diseases that are all too prevalent. Every week, they feature a guest who speaks on one of these lifestyle medicine pillars. This show is for you, the person who is seeking to improve your overall wellness and quality of life. So whether you are driving, walking, or relaxing at home, we hope this show will provide you one more tool for your wellness toolbox. Let's meet today's podcast guest. Welcome back, everyone, to the Plant-Based DFW Podcast. I am Maya Acosta, and this is episode 139. My next guest is also a member of the Pod Advisory Committee for the Plant Peer Communities Pod Network. As you may know, I will be featuring eight PAC members in this series. Reverend Beth Love leads the Eat for the Earth Pod in Santa Cruz, California. She's the author of the Taste Like Love book series. She's a gifted speaker, facilitator, teacher, and ordained New Thought Minister. Eat for the Earth encourages plant-based and plant-rich diets to sustain all life on Earth. Let's meet Beth Love. Okay, so welcome, Beth. Thank you, Maya. I'm so grateful to be here. I read your bio and the work that you've done for the POD Network, and I was wondering, so this organization, the PAC committee, the POD Advisory Committee is fairly new, and so you're part of a series of interviews that we're doing to sort of introduce to the POD Network who we are as a PAC, as a committee. So I'd love to hear what your involvement currently is with PAC. What subcommittees are you part of and how are you feeling so far about being part of the committee? Wonderful question. Thank you so much, Maya. Yes, I was so delighted to be asked to serve on the POD Advisory Council for Plant Pure Communities because I believe that Plant Pure Communities are an incredibly important and effective organization. And I love the emphasis on local action, taking a global issue and encouraging and empowering people to act at the local level to provide communities where people can get support and tools and information for healing their bodies, their health. It will also help them to heal the earth and our human spiritual integrity, really, for me as a minister. And so I was delighted to be invited to serve on the POT Advisory Council. And the two committees I'm on are the Events Committee and the Social Action Committee. And we've both gotten a good start, and I'm excited about the work that we'll do. And everybody on the council has incredibly full, rich lives, doing a lot of activism in their own communities and handling their own pods, as well as for many of us having additional work. And so I'm working to balance my enthusiasm and my passion and my expectation about what could be done with also the reality check. These are very kind of part-time honorary positions that we're working here. But I do feel hopeful. The, The Social Action Committee is wanting to provide tools 
for the pods, the plant pure pods, wherever they are in the world, to be able to take the message of the importance of shifting human diets to more plants and less animal products or going all the way to whole food plant-based for people who are willing to take that important message about how that impacts the systems that we live and move and have our being, and that we want these pods to not only be able to support their own members, but to really impact the broader communities in which they are embedded so that everybody understands that the health of our planet, the health of our bodies, our human spiritual integrity, the cause of all humans eating, that all of these things, the compassion for animals, that they're all intertwined and that they intersect at what we eat. And so I'm excited about that. The events committee, we're also, we just barely got started, but we're also looking at kind of what kinds of events are we talking about? Are we talking about events for the pod networks themselves or events that we promote to the community that are more broad than that? And so, yeah, I'm excited to be part of the PAC, the Pod Advisory Council. And we're excited to have you. I mean, after learning a little bit more about you and seeing how active you've been on your own, it has been incredible. All that you've done with your pod, how you work with your local community and kind of have reached a broader a group of people as well. And we will get to that point where we'll talk about how involved you are. So I'm also excited about PAC because last year was pretty difficult for all of us, especially when we were so used to being very in touch in person with our pods. And so here we are, life is a little bit different. And so PAC gives us a lot of hope, just like you said. Beth, I would love to learn how you even came about learning about plant-based nutrition. When did you learn about it? So I started learning about it when I was still a pre-adolescent, actually. I'm 63 years old now, soon to be 64. And so way back in the late 60s, early 70s, my mom started studying what was called the health food movement. She was studying about health food and she was teaching her children. And so she taught us that red and processed meats, for instance, were carcinogenic. And she taught us that food colorings were carcinogenic and that white flour and other refined grain products caused constipation. And so I started learning these things at a very early age. And I was very geeky child. I'm still a little bit geeky as an adult, honestly, but I loved what I was learning. And I started what became a lifelong study of nutrition. My mother turned the whole family into whole food vegetarians. By the time I was, like I said, maybe 11 or 12, I was no longer eating meat or fish. And shortly after that, on my own, I stopped eating eggs, but dairy was still a big part of my diet. And in fact, a larger part of our family diet after we gave up the meat. So I went along in that way for many years, feeling like I was eating the healthiest diet there was eating a whole food vegetarian diet. This was whole grains, legumes, plants, nuts, seeds, vegetables, fruits, and cheese and yogurt and other dairy products and thinking I should be really healthy. And indeed, I was healthier than I had been. I gained some health benefits from letting go of the meat and the chemical food colors and additives and things in the processed foods. But it wasn't until much later in the uh, mid-80s when I was involved in a deep spiritual process, this moment of kind of crisis where I I had joined a 12-step program, actually. It was about people, it was called Codependence Anonymous, and it was for people who have been traumatized in their relationships and need healing for that. And the third step in all the 12-step programs is very similar. The wording is a little different, but it's made a decision to turn our life and our will over to the care of a loving spiritual source as we understand that spiritual source. And when I made that declaration that I was going to make that decision to turn my life 
and my will over to the care of God. And at that time, I conceived of God differently than I do now. I suddenly was overcome with terror. I was so fearful. I was totally frightened. I believed that God was going to make me eat meat. And by that time, I'd been a vegetarian for, you know, close to two decades. And I believed that God was going to make me eat meat. And I was terrified. And so I went into this spiritual quest. Everybody around me was telling me that's ridiculous. Why would God want you to eat meat? But for me, that's what came up. And what I realized is that my dietary choice to be a whole food vegetarian was an ego-based choice. That I was like, I'm going to eat the healthiest I can. And I'm not going to eat, put those disgusting meat products and that disgusting sugar on white flour and things like that in my body. It was very ego-centric, very ego-based And so what I realized is that God, the God of my understanding, might want me to let go of that ego orientation. And so I just started investigating, like, how could I have a different relationship with my diet? And during that time, it was amazing. I was walking down the street one day and in the town where I was living, they were having a sidewalk sale and all of the stores had wares out on the sidewalk. And I walked by this bookstore and there were some bookshelves set up outside with books on them. And as I'm walking by, one of the books fell out and landed at my feet. If you can believe that I picked it up. It was called a higher taste, a guide to karma free eating. If I remember the title exactly, I'm not sure, but it was by the Hare Krishnas. And I was like, Oh my gosh, a guide to karma free eating. Like this could be the answer for what I'm looking for. So I bought the book and I did not become a Hare Krishna, but what I was exposed to in that book was a way of eating that was oriented around this idea of not harming others for our pleasure. And I made a decision then and there, I am no longer going to harm others for my pleasure. To the best of my ability, I'm going to avoid harming. And if I am harming, it's not going to be for my pleasure. And so that decision inevitably had to lead to veganism. And in my case, whole food, plant-based eating, because veganism is a philosophy that has to do with not harming living beings, right? And I was already on the whole food track. So in my case, it did lead eventually, as I learned about the impact of the dairy industry on the animals involved. And I found that it's actually even crueler than the beef industry or or many of the other meat industries, that the dairy industry is perhaps the cruelest of all. And so I let go of the dairy. It was very hard, as most people know, if you have ever tried to give up dairy. I mean, I tried and tried. I bargained for many years. I tried, well, I could eat like with the health part, right? I could eat it this, I could eat it that, because I'd already found out I was allergic to dairy years before I gave it up but I tried to bargain on the health side. But as soon as I made that decision, I'm not going to harm other living creatures for my pleasure. And as soon as I saw the truth of how the dairy industry treats the animals, I never looked back. I never ate another piece of cheese. And much later, I learned that cheese is so addictive because of the high fat, salt and sugar content, and especially because milk protein itself, casein, is as addictive as heroin and other opiates because it attaches to the same receptors in our brain. So I just have a lot of compassion for those people who are right now attempting to give up dairy and especially cheese because it's concentrated fat, sugar, salt, and casein. So that's how I got on the path. 
Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That's such a beautiful story. Just kind of going back a little bit to your upbringing, just what you were saying about your mom and how she really took good care of you guys in terms of making sure that you stayed away from the processed foods and the foods that had all those additives. So there was this awareness that she had in a way in terms of health that even though you weren't fully plant-based really must have helped you out those 20 years that you were living that life because you avoided ingesting a lot of toxins and other things that we kind of carry in our body from just standard American diet. So in many ways, you were very fortunate at least to have that. Did your mom though practice, I know that you guys were not vegan, but did she practice sort of this kind of ahimsa approach in general. It's so interesting that you would ask a little bit more about my mom. The anniversary of her death was just two days ago or three days ago, three days ago, the 10th anniversary of her death. And my mom was an incredible, charming, charismatic, amazing, fun, creative woman. And she also was a seeker. And so the health food journey was only one part of her journey. And she actually left that journey to become a Muslim because when she became a Muslim, she, in her own way of thinking, she had made a God out of food and a God out of cigarettes and things like that. She started smoking again. She started eating sugar. She started eating meat. She just, uh, anything. So but she did find peace as a Muslim and that for that, I'm very, very grateful. The book that you reference, I am familiar with as well. I was at a fair and this individual approached me and handed me a copy of the book. And I too thought about the idea of nonviolence. It took me still a little while before I became vegan, but I feel like sometimes life plants these seeds along the way, right? For some of us, it's like, we're trying to Wake up to it. Wake up to it. How did you learn about, say, Plant Pure Nation and Plant Pure Communities? Yeah, I had an interesting story there, too. It's kind of more of a backdoor. I thought I was a long-term vegan by the time I joined Plant Pure Communities and long-term whole food plant-based eater and someone who had begun to teach people about whole food plant-based eating and how important it was for the survival of humanity and other life forms on Earth. And for our health and everything else. So I had already been teaching for a while. And when I found out, I actually was doing some research and found out about the certificate in plant-based nutrition from the T. Colin Campbell Center. And I was looking into doing it and I noticed that there was a scholarship opportunity and it was for pod leaders of plant peer communities. So that's where I learned about plant peer communities. And I thought, oh, I wonder if we have any pods in our community. And so I looked it up and sure enough, we had a pod here and I think it was called Whole Plant Santa Cruz. That's what it was, Whole Plant Santa Cruz. So I joined Whole Plant Santa Cruz. I forgot about the scholarship opportunity. I just was like, oh, cool. I want to connect with other people who are organizing around the same topic I am in my county, in my community. And I actually knew a couple of the people that I saw in the group. So I joined this pod and then nothing happened. <laughs> which is a kind of a sad story. So for those of you who have pods, know that it's important to keep the leadership continuous if you can't do it anymore. But nothing happened and a year went by and nothing happened. And then I don't know how long went by, quite a while went by before anything happened. And the first thing that happened as a result of my joining was that our pod, everybody in our pod, I presume, because I got one, got a letter addressed to the pod from Kara Lynn, who is one of the Plant Pure Community's regional managers. And Kara said that our pod needed leadership. Did anybody want to step up? So I had a conversation with Kara and I said, I've started this organization, Eat for the Earth. 
And we don't have the same focus that Plant Pure Communities does. You know, we're not focused on getting people onto a whole food, plant-based, oil-free diet. We're focused on helping people to understand that if we don't shift diets globally toward much more plants and much fewer animal products, then we will surely not be able to keep global warming within the limits set by the Paris Agreement. So we will go over 1.5 or 2 degrees centigrade, even if we go to zero carbon emissions from fossil fuels. If we don't also change human diets, we're not going to make it. We will reach the point of no return on the climate crisis, which could come very quickly, maybe in the next seven or eight years. We don't know because the feedback loops, right? There's these incredible feedback loops that we're already experiencing where the impacts of the climate crisis are leading to greater emissions rather than less. And so we may have only seven or eight years to act. And during that time, if we take really significant actions to drastically change lifestyles worldwide in terms of all sources of emissions, including and most particularly those from animal agriculture, then we will reach this point that's called runaway global warming. And after that, it is understood by scientists that we will lose our opportunity to act, that after that, any intervention that we do as humans, short of getting on a spaceship and going somewhere else to colonize some other planet or live in a a space station, anything else will not do. And so we will be on an inexorable course toward the likely annihilation of much of the life that is on the planet now, including human life and all of the more than human life, as some of the Native Americans might call it. So I asked Kara, I care about whole food plant-based. Anytime I do demonstrations or food classes or anything, it's going to be whole food plant-based and oil-free, but that's not our focus. Is that okay? And she was absolutely supportive of it. She said that Plant Pure Communities is also concerned about the environment and that Nelson Campbell, its founder, was really moving toward more inclusion of environmental initiatives And that was absolutely fine. So I became the leader of the whole plant Santa Cruz. We changed the name to Eat for the Earth. And it became one more channel through which people could find our organization. So I don't distinguish between our plant pure communities pod, Eat for the Earth, and Eat for the Earth as an organization or a meetup group or a Facebook group. It's all one. So I'm happy that you're bringing this up, that you don't distinguish what you're doing as your own organization from what you're contributing to the Plant Pure Communities pod network. And so some of the things that you touched on, I thought were really important. First of all, you were already established before you learned about the pod network. So you yourself, you were already reaching out and educating other people. And we were as well. And I also was a little hesitant to join the pod network because I wasn't sure if I was going to have to change or also sort of omit some of the things that we were doing. And so it took me about a year, same like you, like I joined one of the groups, but there was no activity. And it took me another year before I decided to go for it, but we already had established ourselves. So I'm saying all of that because I think it's important that our listeners, especially our other pod leaders, understand that if you're active, that's the most important thing that you come on board to the pod network, because I think that's a great way to bring more exposure to the area, specifically your community. At the time that you came to Carolyn, did you feel that not enough plant-based leaders were focusing on the environment? Thank you for that question. Did I think that not enough plant-pure leaders were focused on the environment? 
I didn't really think that way, but I also, if you don't mind, would like to address something else you said just a little moment ago. So yeah, I want to talk about the benefits of being part of the Plant Pure Network because for when I started doing it, I was just thinking, okay, here's one more door. I don't care what door people come in. I just want them involved with Eat for the Earth. So they can come in through a community festival where we're tabling. They can come in through the meetup group, through one of the Facebook groups. Maybe they see our website. They see a post in the local newspaper. I don't care how they come in. And I saw it as just one more door to come in because I didn't really have experience with plant care communities before that. But what I've really come to realize is that being part of this network really adds value to what we're doing here in Santa Cruz. We have had maybe two people. We had two people come in through the plant pure communities door and then go back out. And then I think we have one other person who came and stuck. So we're not getting a lot of people that are watching the movie, going on the site, finding the map, finding us on the map and coming to eat for the earth that way. So that has not been a huge benefit for us. I'm not saying it wouldn't be for others, but what has been a huge benefit is the amazing opportunity to network and to connect with people from all over the world who are doing this work. And particularly since COVID started and we've been doing these monthly networking hours or whatever they call it, pod games hours, whatever it is, it's been so beneficial because for one thing, when you're working in isolation in communities that where this message is so countercultural, I mean, how many people do you know of your family and friend circle that think that you are really weird, right? Like we are so countercultural in the message that we're bringing. And that can be pretty lonely, even if you have a group of people, an organization you're working with as Eat for the Earth does have a group of people. I still feel like I'm so far out of the mainstream. And so sometimes it feels really hopeless because it feels like we're pushing up a boulder uphill, right? It feels like this message, and especially for those of us concerned about the earth and who understand the facts that I just laid out, which is that There is no solution to the climate crisis that does not include a massive shift in human diets toward more plants. Like to have that information, to know that information, to see how incremental the change is in my community, to go to these meetings and to be inspired by the stories of the other pod leaders and to hear their ideas and to feel like I'm part of a community that's all on the same page. I love that. I love that. So I just wanted to address that. But then more to address your point, which was it more about my judgment about whether people were taking on the environmental issue or not? I feel that you bring that additional perspective, that your emphasis really is on the environment as well. And that's important and unique to your pod. All of us care about the environment, but yours is so much more organized and really provides resources. I guess that's really what I'm emphasizing is what you're doing with your pod. Great. Thank you. Yes. And also, I remember that you asked about kind of how we got started. So I can address both of those. You know, what research shows is that in terms of I was talking about doors to eat for the earth before. So let's not be confused about which doors I'm talking about. There's many doors in which people can come into eat for the earth. There's also many doors through which people come into eating plants, whether it's plant based, vegan, plant strong, whatever slant it is. And what research shows is that health is by and large for most populations the most popular door to come through. Now, for certain populations, particularly young people, the animal rights door is also a very popular door. It's the most used door, perhaps, amongst young people. But for most people, the health door is the one people come to plant-based. And so I'm so grateful 
that we as a human species, once we get in sufficient pain, once we've been pushed enough, we will make changes. Because before we're pushed enough, so many people don't want to take on a radical countercultural lifestyle, right? They don't want to have to go to a restaurant and try to figure out what they can eat. They want to just order whatever they eat. They don't want to go to a family potluck and make a scene and say, well, I can't eat that, maybe hurt somebody's feelings. They don't want to go to their office and see all these donuts and junk food laid out and not be able to eat it, right? People want to be part of the community. But because of that strong desire, we have to be part of the community. And because of our strong capacity for cognitive dissonance, where we can know that something's not right, but do it anyway, make excuses, figure out some kind of justification for what we're doing, we really sometimes need to be pushed. And so I'm really grateful for the health crises that propel so many people onto this path. And I also have a vision of a day when we don't have to be pushed so much by crisis and pain and where we can act more proactively. But so I'm really grateful that people come in through the health door and that more and more people are understanding the environmental impact of our diets is also huge. The environmental impact of, let me make it very clear because of the audience we're talking to, I don't have to beat around the bush. We know that it's animal agriculture that is destroying the earth. It's not agriculture as a whole, it's animal agriculture. So in terms of kind of how Eat for the Earth got started, that's a fascinating story too. Shall I stop here and breathe so you can get a word in edgewise or should I keep going? Keep going. So I'm a minister. Like I'm ordained in the New Thought tradition and I was for almost 20 years in leadership in a church that I helped to found in my community in Santa Cruz, California. And I've had a very varied career path. Ministry is not my first. I started off teaching in and running Montessori schools. I've run nonprofit organizations devoted to the topic of child abuse. There's been a thread throughout my life of transformation, and it's all been focused on the children. Because when I was very young, when I was a child, and I was being raised in this really amazing, but also very crazy and violent family, I made a decision at a very young age that I was going to make a difference in the world and that I was going to do it by making the world a better place for children and by working for change so that children could have what they need. Because I really believed then, and I have reinforced it over my entire life, that if we could raise our children differently, we would transform the way we are as a species. We would transform all of our social ills if we were able to raise children differently, if we were able to give all children what they need and to support them in developing as whole beings as emotionally intelligent, as kind and compassionate. And I believe that is true. And so I dedicated my life to that proposition. And when I was in my teens, I studied Montessori. As I said, I started a Montessori school with a friend when I was still in my teens. I ran the school with her. I started a number of schools. And then I started eventually at college. I studied child abuse prevention and started working in that field. And during that same time that I was studying child abuse prevention, I was also getting involved in my own spiritual path, getting deeper and deeper into new thought and helped to start this church. So at the church, my roles were also around the children and around childhood. So I was either working with the young children, teaching them to meditate or supervising all of the teachers that worked with the children of every age and the teens or working with the adults. And anytime I was working with the adults, whether it was Uh, praying with them or spiritual counseling or doing adult spiritual education classes, a strong component of it was supporting people to heal from their childhood wounds, right? Or I was working in the state prison system as a volunteer during that same period, helping the men in the state prison system heal their childhood wounds, right? So I'm like, focus, the children of the world, we got to change the world by changing what the children experience. 
And then like I had this wake up call about five years ago, it was five and a half years ago at this point. And I suddenly realized that I needed to change my career again. And I didn't know why or what I was going to do, but I just got very clear guidance from the universe. You are going to leave this place and you are going to leave this work because there is something else for you to do. And so I left my community. I mean, I gave notice. I left and tidied up the, the ends and everything, but I left my community. I left my work and work that I loved and was very good at. And I kind of jumped in this void. And the first week in the void, I watched the movie Cowspiracy. And as a longtime vegan, I already knew that my diet was an important solution to the environmental ills that we face. And I already knew much of what was in the movie. But because of the timing, leaving that job in this question of why am I supposed to go? Like, aren't I fulfilling my life's purpose here? And then seeing that movie in like just this, like a cold shower. Like, what does any of that work matter? Who cares if three-year-olds can meditate and men in the state prison system are healing their wounds and adult learners are getting to heal their childhood wounds? Who cares if we do not have an earth on which to live? The part of the puzzle was solved. I knew why I was supposed to leave. I didn't know exactly what I was supposed to do, but I just kind of jumped in. I started teaching people. I started doing these free vegan cooking classes teaching people about the environmental aspects of what they were eating, the health aspects, studying, studying, studying. Because as a key geek, I had studied nutrition, you know, all along, but I really started studying. I immersed myself in, you know, all of the latest plant-based doctors, Dr. Greger, Dr. Barnard, Dr. Um, Dr. McDougall, Joel Furman, et cetera, et cetera. I just started immersing myself in that body of literature because I knew that the health door was the pain pushing and I knew I could get more people that way. So I started teaching these classes. I would sneak in the environmental stuff. I would sneak in the compassion stuff, what I call human spiritual integrity. We are so far out of alignment with human spiritual integrity. That, I believe, is at the root of our crisis. We are in wrong relationship with life on earth and the earth herself. And so I would sneak that stuff in as well and teach people how to cook this delicious food. I had them come to my house and fed them delicious food, started doing dinner parties, free dinner parties, where I gave people a delicious meal and then a presentation about diet and health and snuck in some of the other stuff and just started like working really hard to get this message out. And after about two years of this, I was like, I'm not making enough progress. I've got it. Like I've got some people who've gone plant-based or gone most of the way to plant-based, but this is not going to make an impact. Here's my goal habitable world for our children. We got a short time frame to get there. And here's what I've done. Like I'm keeping it much closer than it really is because of the screen, but it's like, really, there's such a disconnect between those two things. So I just spent the next year studying, talking to uh, different leaders in the field, getting their ideas. And on January 19th, 2019, my mother's birthday, I launched Eat for the Earth. And I just put notices out in the newspaper and set up a meetup, set up the event right, put it out on Facebook. And we had standing room only at the launch on January 19, 2019. We had my house was full. I, it was half the people registered in the last 12 hours. So it was too late to get another venue. So I hadn't been planning to feed 40 some people. <laughs> we fed, I had some volunteers that came and helped and we fed 40 some people. We had standing room only in my house. It was a really energized crowd. I gave a presentation. Dozens of people signed up to help, to get involved. Some of them signed up to become our core leadership team. And 2019, we shot out of the shoot. We just like, we did 10 community festivals during the year where we tabled. We had some of our members said, I feel excited about the 
the community festivals idea. I'm going to make some displays. I'm going to buy some literature. I'm going to make a banner. We had someone who said, I want to talk to restaurants. She got nine restaurants enrolled in our program in the first year. And then she had four or five more lined up when COVID hit. And someone else said, I'm going to take on a school district. I mean, it was just like, it was magical. I know how many food samples approximately we gave out that year, 8,484 food samples. And I can't remember how many hundreds of meals, free meals we gave out. And everybody that got a sample or a meal got a pamphlet or got a presentation or got a conversation. Everybody got information. Our mailing was blossomed and it was heady. And then we had a whole schedule of events lined up for 2020 and they all got canceled. But that's how we got our start. It was pretty exciting. And there's still some real good stuff from that time, including a significant mailing list, including a very visible presence in this Santa Cruz community. I had a longtime environmentalist in town talk to me and said, when did you start? And he was talking to me in 2019, right, at one of these festivals. And I'm telling him January. And he's like, oh, my God, you guys have more of a presence than organizations that have been around for dozens of years. So, you know, it's an idea whose time has come. Like, this is not about my ego. This is about the community is hungry for this information. Again, because people know that we're out of alignment with our spiritual integrity. People know that we're out of alignment with how we're living on the planet. People know that we're out of alignment with how we're feeding our bodies and how we're treating each other and treating the other life forms when we share the planet. And think about even the workers in the animal agriculture industry and what happened during COVID and what we saw with the meatpacking plants. People know that we're out of alignment. And so this is an idea whose time has come. And so I'm super happy to be part of this revolution. I'm excited just listening to how this movement, how this pot of yours grew and all the things that you've done. It really doesn't matter if we're talking about life before COVID or after COVID, because if you build a presence online and eventually do something in person, people will show up. Right now, we've had to transition to a virtual kind of reality. But okay, a couple of questions about how you got started. So you had your work, your ministry work that you were involved in. How many of your recruits came from that? Did you return to the church that you helped start or any of the classes that you were teaching there? Did you go and actually reach out or outreach to some of those members? That's a great question about whether I reached out to people at my former church when I started doing this new work. And the answer is that I there was a big going away party for me. And I put out a piece of paper where people could sign up to be on my mailing list. And so I did have a number of people come in that way. And then, of course, some of them are my Facebook friends or they hear about what I'm doing to the grapevine or whatever. So over time, more of my former community, faith community members, they may still be involved or not, but <laughs> it's hard to say. But the people that I used to be involved with when I was still in the church, A number of them got involved. I would say when I first started teaching the classes in my house, there was a fair percentage of people from the church, but there was also a very big percentage from next door. I posted on next door, and that was a really good source of getting people for the classes. And I think over time, the people that are still with me that I knew in my previous life at the church, that's been a smaller and smaller percentage, a diminishing percentage over time in terms of who's involved with Eat for the Earth now, because we're bringing in people through so many different channels. Mm-hmm. So we have, if you think when I'm asked to provide a report for how many people are involved with Eat for the Earth or how many are on our list, I do my best to try to cross check our two Facebook groups, our meetup group and the mailing list. And 
it's well over a thousand. It's probably approaching 1300 at this point. What was your experience like when you started to kind of preach this message and people started attending? Were you finding that some people were already aware of the benefits of plant-based nutrition and how much did they know about the effects of animal agriculture on the environment? Those are great questions, whether I was encountering people who were already plant-based and whether people were aware of the impact of animal agriculture on the environment. And I like to say that for starters, in Santa Cruz County, well, because I was a longtime vegan, I was already plugged into the vegan community, right? So we have a Santa Cruz Vegans Facebook group that's got hundreds of members. There's several other Bay Area Facebook groups that I'm part of that are vegan Facebook groups that have hundreds, thousands of members in some cases. We had at the time when I first started focusing on this, I think there were four different meetup groups that were focused on veganism or plant-based eating. And so I was embedded in these communities. But with Eat for the Earth, I made a strategic decision that has been reinforced by anybody that's come onto our leadership team. And we're incorporating as a nonprofit now. So our current board of directors also is on this page that it's really important that we reach beyond the choir. Like our primary target is not vegans or people who are eating whole food plant-based. The primary target is people who might be friendly to that idea, but who aren't there yet. Or even people who may never go plant-based entirely, but who care about the environment and understand or are willing to understand that there's a connection between what we eat and the environmental impact it has. So we purposely are very strategic on our website copy and in the ways that we promote most of our events in the world to be inclusive. So whether people are omnivores or plant-based or reducitarians, you know, whatever they call themselves, they're welcome. And I think that this is probably instructional for all of us, right? Because we don't want to just keep talking to the same people who are always eating plant-based already. We want to get more people into our camp. Because the more people we have, the healthier our human population will be, the more compassionate our presence on the earth, the more sustainable, et cetera, et cetera. In terms of did people know, some people, yes, some people know, because I certainly am reaching out in those friendly environments. I certainly post things in the Santa Cruz Vegans Facebook group. I've done some collaborations with some of the beat-ups, but I also am doing my best to get the message out more broadly. In terms of uh, people's awareness about animal agriculture and its impact on the earth, I do believe that there's been a shift toward more people being more aware. And there's been some recent events that I think have helped as hard as they've been. I believe that in 2019, when the Amazon fires were raging out of control, not unlike they have all along, but maybe we had a really, really bad year. And it was getting more press than usual that the cause of the burning of the Amazon was to clear forests for cattle grazing. So people are now aware of that. Very few people who are kind of conscious don't know that at least there's a connection between rainforest burning and cattle grazing. And people who are pretty aware know that burning the Amazon has a connection to the climate crisis, right? So that's becoming more known. Now, I noticed that the most of the press at that time was talking about to clear land for things like soybeans and grazing animals. And so people might think, a lot of people, I think, sometimes blame vegans for the vast monoculture fields of soybeans and corn 
and oats and wheat. But by and large, those grains and soybeans are being raised to feed animals. And in the case of the Amazonian soybeans, they're going primarily to pigs in China for human consumption. So I'm working to raise awareness that it's not just about the cattle grazing and that the soybeans are for us vegans, but the soybeans are also for the animal agriculture, right? So I think people are getting more aware. People in environmental circles are becoming more aware. More of them are eating less meat. They're aware that meat is a problem. They're not necessarily aware that dairy is through some kind of very complicated greenhouse gas calculations is uh, coming out lower than it should be. And my friend, Dr. Silas Rao can explain exactly how that is. I can't, but they have all these interesting ways that they calculate greenhouse gases. One of them is that the primary greenhouse gas associated with animal agriculture, methane, the, the largest source of methane by far on the planet is ruminant animals, cows, sheep, and goats, and other animals like that. And of course, there's very few of them in the wild. The vast majority of biomass on the planet or animal biomass is our animals that we raise for food. And then we're second after that. And the wildlife is small compared to us and tiny compared to the animals we raise for food. So all of that methane that's primarily coming from these animals, like it's way more potent than carbon dioxide, but it also goes out of the atmosphere faster. So it holds a much better solution than reducing carbon dioxide because that's going to be there for thousands of years and some of even 10,000 years from now. The fossil fuel emissions we're emitting right now, some of it will still be there in 10,000 years. So the way they calculate the um, greenhouse gases and their, and their presence in the atmosphere discounts methane tremendously because it's looking at a 100-year time scale and methane's gone in 12 years, right? So it's spreading the impact that would be over 100 years, it's spreading the impact of the methane over 100 years when it's really all gone after 12 years. So there's these fancy calculations that are happening. Largely, I think I'll be really candid here, but the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change and the, the FAO, the Food and Agricultural Organization, where a lot of these statistics are coming from, they're tied to agriculture. They're tied to agricultural interests. So I'm going very far from your question, very far. You can see how excited I get. But the bottom line is that people are becoming more aware. One of our strongest advocates that's made a huge difference in Santa Cruz County is not a vegan. She doesn't eat whole food plant-based. She will probably never be a vegan, but she eats plant strong. And she is the leader of the local Santa Cruz Climate Action Network that has been going for a long time, maybe almost two decades now, is very well known in government circles. And she does not miss an opportunity to include dietary emissions in the activism that she and her group are bringing to the table. I'm on the leadership team for that group. And we have successfully integrated the issue. So it doesn't have to just live on my shoulders or on each of the earth's shoulders. It's like we have partners who are carrying the message as well. So even if I'm not at the meeting, she will bring it up. So it's becoming more known. And I'm really, really grateful for that. But we have a long way to go. We have a long way to go. But I'm glad that you're going into detail about the work that you're doing and explaining to our listeners, the audience, the details of what this environmental activism really entails. Our committee is looking to give people tools like letter to the editor templates and op-ed templates mm -hmm. and maybe other kinds of ideas and tools and strategies to reach out to local elected officials, to do partnerships with food pantries or with other community serving organizations to just start embedding 
this message of the importance of eating plants into our communities more broadly. Since you stopped all your events in 2020, were you still able to connect with your pod members and were your volunteers still active in helping you with anything that you were doing online? Thank you for that question. So yes, Eat for the Earth, like everybody else on the face of the earth, experienced a massive COVID-19 pivot in 2020. On March 17, 2020, my town shut down. And long before that, events started getting canceled. And by the time March was over, April was over, they were all canceled. So the eight events that we had planned, none of them happened. What I did was I reached out to our Eat for the Earth community via Facebook and Meetup. And I invited people to join an online education and activism. I can't remember what we called it. Something like online education and advocacy team to figure out what could Eat for the Earth do. And one of the ideas of that first meeting was to start doing food classes. And at the beginning of the pandemic on March 17th, like when we were all shut in, I was like, and we thought it was going to be three weeks, right? <laughs> like other locations, you might've gotten a three week stay at home order, right? That's what we got. Shelter in place, three weeks. So I'm like, people are going to need to know what to do with the food in their house for the next three weeks. So I like it in the first week, I had a class online. I started doing classes, right? And some of my team members did support that. They supported it with promotions with coming to the classes to participate, to help, to engage in the chat, things like that. So we really started without any plan in place. We just launched online educational classes to teach food prep, something I had thought about doing at some point in the future, but had never done before. Found out I loved it. There was a need for it. People were excited and enthusiastic. We still do it. We're doing it usually two or three times, two or three classes a week on a donation basis. And we get people from all over the world because of COVID instead of just our Santa Cruz people. So that's been fun. And then at that first meeting, we also decided to start looking into how to do some webinars. And we set an, an audacious target of doing our first webinar, one or more as part of Earth Week 2019. So Earth Week, of course, is the third week in April. It was the third week. It was probably the fourth week in uh, March by the time we were meeting. And we did it. We pulled it off. We had two webinars during Earth Week, the first one on Earth Day 2019. So we're coming on our first anniversary of our first ever webinar. And we had over 100 people sign up. We registered it through the Earth Day network of events that were happening all over the country online and all over the world. So we plan to do that again this year. We'll do another Earth Day webinar. It was called What's on Your Fork? Five Ways It Impacts the Earth and What You Can Do to Help. And then we followed it up a few days later with a second webinar, which was called Good for You and Good for the Earth, How a Sustainable, Healthy Diet Can Make a World of a Difference. And I was so blessed. Eat for the Earth was so blessed. One of the people that answered that call and came to those organizing meetings to create our online content was somebody who works in online education. And so she schooled us. She schooled us really well. And I'm still integrating all of the lessons that I got from that. And I would say if, if you're new to online education, get somebody who knows how to do it. And people who are listening are new to online education. There's lots of things that you can benefit by leaning on someone else. And I'm totally willing to share with anybody in the pod network, any of the leaders in the pod network, if they want to learn, pick my brain and learn what I've learned along the way in the last year. So we had those two webinars. We started joining. We've been appearing as panelists on various panel shows and presenting workshops as part of symposiums and summits. I spoke in John McDougall's 
what do we call it? Climate mastermind. The second summit he did on the climate, I got to speak in that. That was really amazing. And I've spoken at Vegan World 2026. We've done some workshops for Vegan World 2026. We're doing some more coming up. And we're also regularly appearing on a show called World Talent Economy Forum, which is always looking for panelists. And if anybody's interested, they can message me or send me an email and I'll get them in touch with a person who moderates that panel. It's really kind of an exciting opportunity because a lot of their shows focus on the environment, some more on economy. There's been a little bit on health, but it's usually climate and health or economy and health. But the organization that puts it on World Talent Economy Forum, they're broadcasting through YouTube and Facebook and they have a huge listenership or viewership in Asia. And they're also using the content for educational programming in a number of schools in Asia. So it's a great opportunity to embed this plant-based message in the broader environmental and economic and health movements. So you stayed active last year, irregardless, even though you weren't meeting in person. I feel like a lot of us kind of I went through this expansion growth spur of being really creative and finding other ways to connect. And how amazing that now you have people from all over the world that are involved in your classes and learning from you. And by the way, what is the best way if people want to support your work or join your organization? What's the best way for them to reach out to you? I would say that checking out our website first would be a great idea. So it's eatfortheearth.org. So that's a good starting place. On the front page of the website, people can choose to join one of our two Facebook groups. One of them is Eat for the Earth Santa Cruz. The other one's Eat for the Earth Worldwide. Or they can sign up for our mailing list. And our contact information is also there. And it's my contact information. So that would probably be a good starting point. If you want to share with Pod Network directly my contact information, I'm completely open to that. I just want to say it's been really hard. I don't want people to get the idea that we somehow skipped (laughs) the hardships of COVID. I mean, really organizing online is so different than organizing in person. Not being able to have the meetings where we had potlucks together or where we fed people a meal has really, the leadership team is like, we have a new board. I'm really grateful for that. Very active board. But the volunteer base really diminished. We had 50 plus volunteers in 2019. We probably had 20 volunteers in 2020. You know, it's like it's been more difficult because people love to connect and it's been more difficult to find ways to connect. And so one thing I'm really excited about, which could be part of the call to action, is that I have been meeting with two of our board members to plan a launch. We're calling it Eat for the Earth Communities Launch. And we're going to do two launch events, one on Earth Day next week and the other one as part of Vegan World 2026 on the weekend after Earth Day. And at those events, our intention is to reimagine and regenerate that enthusiasm, that passion, that energy that we had the first time around when we launched, but this time to have it be broader so that there will be a Santa Cruz contingent, but there could also be contingents from anywhere else. And there could also be a worldwide contingent that doesn't, you know, like if we don't have three or four people from one particular geographic location, we'll still have a group that gets together, right? From people from different areas, because activism can be so lonely and especially during these isolating times. And it can be hard for us to keep up the momentum if we're trying to do this work by ourselves. And so our intention is to create these events at which we connect with other kindred spirits who really want to make a difference in our communities and want to do it in time 
for us to be able to keep living here on this beautiful earth. And together, we will reimagine our activism. Together, we will launch our best activist years yet. Together, we will become that force for good that is so sorely needed in this earth. And so if, if people are interested in coming to those events, I would so, so love to have you there. And these events, we are not gearing to the general public per se. It is the general public, but we're starting at ground level being that people understand that animal agriculture is a major contributor or the top contributor to many of the environmental ills that we face and that we must shift our diets to plant-based. That's the starting point, plant-based or plant-strong. That's the starting point. So we're not going to do a lot of education about environmental aspects of diet. We're just going to jump into how can we help each other become better activists and have a bigger impact in 2021 than we have ever had before. Do you have like a final message or a call to action? You talked a little bit about what people can do. What would you recommend they watch? How can they get involved? Should they look for a pod in their area? Great. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'll have a lot of ideas. I kind of want to start with the pod leaders actually, and then I'll go to the general public who may be watching this. It's really easy to take all of this on ourselves. And I'm grateful that some people have kind of co-pod leaders or some sort of arrangement where they're sharing leadership. But I really want to encourage you to build a leadership team, to get as many playmates as possible and to spread the load because that's the way we're going to do this thing. We're not going to do this as a bunch of lone rangers out here. This is why people burn out. This is, I think, why so many of the pods, there's two of us here in this room that both experienced joining a pod and nothing happening because there was no leadership. So it's easy to burn out if we're trying to take it all on ourselves. So do what you can to get the support you need. Reach out personally. Sometimes like I think I'm just going to do the easy thing and I'm going to send an email to everybody or I'm going to post on the Facebook like I need some support, like there's these tasks to do. But what the most success I've had is when I think about who would I really love to play with? Who would I really love to share this sacred work with? And then I reach out via a phone call or a text and I invite a conversation. And that's been my most successful strategy. And then, yeah, as far as the people in the world go, if anything that I've said resonated with you, if you understand, for instance, that you want to live your life in a way in which you don't hurt any living beings for your pleasure. You know, back to that human spiritual integrity piece I talked about. Like we have been conditioned in a context of carnism that says that certain animals are here for our use and exploitation. Certain animals are here for food, for entertainment, for laboratory animals, for clothing. And this culture is, says that that's normal. That's normal, that's necessary, and that's natural. That's from Melanie Joy. But I'm here to tell you it's not normal. It's not natural, and it's certainly not necessary. And so some of this seems to resonate and you're like, yeah, I really am not the kind of person that would harm living beings for my pleasure. Then look in to the industries that are growing, that are raising the foods you're eating. Because I'll tell you, you can't find anything more cruel than the meat and dairy and egg industries and the fishing industry. It's so incredibly cruel. And I don't know anybody who would hurt a living being like that for their pleasure. And it is not necessary because, in fact, nutritionally, the far superior diet is whole plant foods. So I would say if that's what resonated with you, look into the industry and search in your own heart for what you want to do. If you're having health problems, watch any of these great movies that are out there. What the Health is a really good starting point. I love What the Health. One of my friends is one of the associate producers. It's a great movie. 
The Game Changers is really great for health. And if you're a, an athlete, watch the Game Changers. You'll be blown away if you haven't seen it yet. If you care about the environment, Cowspiracy is still the best movie out there, but I hear we might have some more coming. But it's really easy to find. I would suggest going to the Eat for the Earth website. We have a resource page, which links to a lot of other resources and has a lot of graphics on it that really tell you, well, how much land are we taking up to raise animals for food? Hint, hint, 27%, 29% of the uh, ice-free area on Earth. I'm sorry, the total land mass, total Earth surface. 29% for animal agriculture and the food for the animals. And then if you look at the ice-free area, it's 37%. So you can learn that. You can learn how much water is used for the various components of your diet. You can learn about the greenhouse gas emissions. So that would be a really good starting place is the Eat for the Earth website, eatfortheearth.org slash resources. So thank you very much for having me, Maya. I really, really appreciate what you're doing and all the work you're doing to promote plant-based eating in Texas and so far beyond. And just I'm grateful to be on the same team as you. Well, it's been a pleasure getting to know you and thank you for all the work that you've done and you continue to do. Thank you, Beth Love. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Plant-Based DFW podcast show. If you like our content, please like, share, and leave a review. Our goal is to provide quality episodes to help support the community.